Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome, America. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you would like to be on this here program, as always, text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. You can sign up for the daily email. You can sign up for, or you can get the live stream, the podcast, all that good stuff. Um, what is happening right now, and, and I'm gonna, I'm not going to really shake up my show. I just want you to know that in a little while, I will talk to you about 303 Creative uh, versus Elenis. 303 Creative is being argued at this very moment in front of the United States Supreme Court. It is a case where a woman who makes uh, notable and famous uh, custom websites did not want to make a website for a same-sex marriage, and she was shut down by the state of Colorado for discrimination. Uh, the bad, bad case for the Colorado to pursue in large part because everyone agrees it's a free speech case, and so the ultimate issue is can someone be compelled to write speech uh, for a cause they do not like, and the Solicitor General of Colorado argued that it would be impermissible for the New York Times to not run uh, wedding profiles of heterosexual couples during Pride Month, that the government could impose on New York Times the burden to do so. Uh, bad arguments all around by those who are defending Colorado in this case, yet again showing real hostility to people of faith in Colorado. We will get to that. Uh, the arguments have not yet concluded. The big story of the day, though, is one, you'll have to forgive me, I think is big and not big at the same time. It's not big from the perspective you guys care about, even though you think it's very big, and it is big from the perspective a lot of people are missing. That is the revelations about Twitter and the Biden campaign. You know, it, it, I put up a tweet the other night. It almost became a Rorschach test of where people see this. I just said, remember, it wasn't the Biden administration at the time. They were out of government. It was the Trump administration at the time. And I got lectured by a bunch of people on the right. And my point was actually that people were referring to the coordination between the Biden campaign and Twitter as the Biden administration, but it happened before Biden went to the White House. And uh, people were mad at me about that clarification. And it shows you to a degree, I think, how emotionally invested people are in this story. And so they give it monumental import. And really, the bottom line is what we presume to be happening at Twitter was happening which is why I think to some degree there weren't major revelations. Oh, there were some, but not these. Let me explain first. Just bear with me here. First of all, you need to know, and Matt Taibbi, the, the reporter, pointed this out. Twitter essentially had a hotline where both political campaigns, the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign, could send tweets they thought were misinformation and disinformation and Twitter would take down those tweets. The Trump, the Trump campaign team did this as much as the Biden campaign team. However, Biden's campaign team had more access points at Twitter to get more of Twitter engaged on their behalf because overwhelmingly 
Twitter was biased towards the Democrats, had major donors who were Democrats, and the Biden team could ping those donors directly and get their help at Twitter in a way the Trump campaign could not. So Twitter disproportionately was engaged in helping the Biden team in a way it was not helping the Trump team. And again, this is something we all knew or at least suspected. So this gets to the banning of the Hunter Biden um, the Hunter Biden laptop. And what we know, based on the behind-the-scenes conversations released on Friday night, is that it was an ad hoc decision. It was a decision made because, not because they believed they were helping Joe Biden, but because they really internally did believe it was more Russian disinformation and they did not want to be caught involved. And so they hid behind an argument that because the information came from a hack, they would not release it. So very early on, it became clear this wasn't disinformation. It was possibly legitimate. But because there were loud voices out there saying it was a hack and it was disinformation, they could hide behind the disinformation. One of the few people who came out looking really good in this is Ro Kahana. Ro Kahana is a very progressive Democrat from California who emailed the head of public relations or head of government relations at Twitter and Jack Dorsey, the then CEO, and said, look, this is about the First Amendment. You should not be censoring a newspaper regardless of the contents. You are blocking a newspaper's access to Twitter. And that's bad from a First Amendment standpoint. And Twitter really didn't mount a comprehensive defense other than claiming that some information wasn't covered by the First Amendment. They really didn't handle themselves in this well. On top of that, it, we now know, and this is one of the, the more striking revelations, is that much of the Twitter apparatus worked very hard to hide what they were doing from Jack Dorsey, the CEO. They did not want to tell Jack Dorsey what they were doing. And that is notable. They clearly were engaged with biases towards the Democrats and sympathies towards the Democrats. And the reason I say this is kind of a yawn is because we all already knew this stuff. It's it, it, We knew it, but yes, it is striking to see it in writing, to see their behind-the-scenes conversations. I'll tell you what I think are the big stories. The media reaction to the revelations, because they were split in two. On one hand, you had the American media screaming hysterically that it was improper for this information to be released. It was improper. It was bad. It was harmful. And they attacked the reporter who was releasing the information, claiming that he was just doing PR for billionaires, which is, by the way, what a lot of these same members of the media do when Jeff Bezos owns your newspaper. But they were livid of this, about the spectacle. On the other hand, they were saying, oh, it's no big deal. There, there's no there there. Why are they doing this? Why were they so outraged if there was no there there? 
And my speculation, and again, it's just speculation on my part, is that the bigger issue here is not what was released, but what will be released. Because Elon Musk says this is only the beginning, it's not the end. Ben Collins is one of two disinformation reporters. I forget who the woman is. Um, she, she doesn't have as high a profile as him, but they were two of the loudest voices attacking the reporter who released the information and Twitter. And I would not be surprised to see if there are back-channel communications between people like that and Twitter over time. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So, again, I think the initial preliminary revelations from Twitter, they're not that big a deal. All they do is confirm what we already suspected. We get to see it in writing, but we kind of already knew. What is the big revelation is the media reaction to it. They couldn't just ignore it. They were very clearly, some of these reporters in a Slack chat together, coordinating how they wanted to respond. They were all out of the gate using the same phrases, the same attack lines. They clearly were talking to each other in some sort of chat and coming out with a unified front attacking Twitter. And that suggests to me there's more to it. And I suspect there is. So I think it's Joel Roth, uh, the, the former head of Twitter safety, is really upset and I want to play you some audio from an interview the guy conducted. Okay, Babylon B, which is what got him to buy the thing, I think. That's the that's the, the one which is which was not particularly funny. The Babylon B's man of the year is Rachel Levine. <laughs> not funny. Yeah. Um, and and you can ask I didn't her. agree they should have taken that down, but go ahead. Uh yeah, that so you you've got the the dismissiveness here and then a little more. The events of the 6th happen and um if you talk to content moderators who worked on January 6th, myself included, the word that nearly everybody uses is trauma. Mm -hmm. we, we experience those events, not some of us as Americans, but not just as Americans or as citizens, but as people working on sort of how to prevent harm on the internet, we saw the clearest possible example of what it looked like for things to move from online to off. We saw. Right. What was we saw the way that rhetoric about a stolen election was being mobilized on sites like the Donald.win. Sure. We yes. saw the trafficking of this content in the fringe parts of the internet, and we saw people dead in the Capitol. We saw people dead in the Capitol. Not well, we saw the one woman shot, but uh look, this is how they're justifying what they did. Their trauma. There is a level of self-absorption. You know, so remember the, the, the idea of quiet quitting? Quiet quitting. And the idea of quiet quitting is a stupid phrase because it doesn't mean you're quitting your job. It just means you're not going to bring your whole self to the office. Your office is no longer going to define you, which is what employers want, by the way. See, the Gen Z and the, the younger millennials said they believe that their office, they should only work for causes they care about. Really, you got to go to work and earn a paycheck so you can engage in the causes you care about. And this is what we're seeing here is these guys really thought, I mean, this was personal to them because it was their job. It was the intersection of what was going on in the news. And so they were outraged and they decided to crack down. They couldn't stand back and look at it objectively because they didn't have objective standards. So when you couple those sorts of reactions with the revelations from Friday about Twitter, 
what I think we're going to find is that there actually was a greater intersection of the media. And when the Biden campaign became the Biden administration and had the full force of the executive branch of government behind it, I suspect we're going to find even more. We already know from FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, that the Biden administration was getting Twitter to censor people over COVID information. Notice I said information because some of the things they censored turned out to be true, even though at the time they said it was misinformation or disinformation. The initial revelations weren't that big. But the reaction by the press, they're squealing like stuck pigs. And when you combine that with what is to come, it becomes a big story. Members of the media have decided they are gatekeepers to truth, though they themselves cannot tell the truth. And they used social media in ways the government cannot, except we know members of government were getting social media to censor people that members of the government wanted to shut up. And I suspect we're going to see these revelations coming forward, which is why the media is working so hard right now to discredit it all, because they know their own requests to Twitter will be coming very soon. A friend of mine and I were discussing bull and branch sheets the other night when he was sitting on the front porch with me, and he didn't believe that they got softer and softer every time you wash them. His wife was not convinced at all. She figured it was all marketing hype. Now she wants bull and branch sheets for all of their beds at home. Why? Because they really do get softer every time you wash them. They're free of toxins, pesticides, harsh chemicals at every step of the process. They're the finest 100% organic cotton on earth. They're made by artisans who earn the pay and the respect they deserve. And right now you can bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowl and Branch Bedding. Their signature sheets even come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. It's going to look good. It's going to feel great. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC at BowlandBranch.com. That's BowlandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K at BowlandBranch.com. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Should you wish to be on the program today, 877-973-7425. By the way, I should note on Twitter, one, one of the more interesting data points here is the Death Watch. There have been a series of articles in the last week or so about how Twitter is going to die. Uh, John Gruber, who writes the website Daring Fireball. In the immediate aftermath of Twitter's mass layoffs and subsequent resignations, there were widespread reports that the staffing situation and collective brain drain were so dire that the site would collapse. Two weeks later, with World Cup soccer drama fueling record usage, such concerns seem to have been overblown. This is part of the reporting from Bloomberg. Multiple teams that were critical for keeping the service up and running are completely gone or borrowing engineers from other groups, according to people familiar with the matter. That includes infrastructure teams to keep the main feed operational and maintain tweet databases. RIP Twitter trended on the site as users departed. Employees predicted an imminent shutdown. And let's see, this is from the Washington Post. 
Several critical teams essential to keeping the site functioning were cut to a single engineer or none after departures, leaving the company partially on autopilot and likely to crash. And also for the Washington Post, quote, I know of six critical systems which no longer have any engineers. A former employee said there's no longer even a skeleton crew manning the system. It will continue to coast until it runs into something and then it will stop. The Verge did the same thing. Remaining and departing Twitter employees told The Verge that given the scale of resignations, they expect the platform to start breaking soon. One said they watched legendary engineers and others they look up to leave one by one. Multiple critical teams inside Twitter have now either completely or near completely resigned. We're two weeks from that. And it looks like they potentially can learn. And then, by the way, uh, The Guardian, very shortly thereafter, ran a story. Uh, here's the headline. Twitter has 50% chance of major crash during the World Cup, says an insider. The World Cup is more than half over. Uh, advertising has certainly collapsed, but Twitter itself has not. Concurrent to that, there are stories the New York Times has about hate speeches rise on Twitter is unprecedented. The problem here is that it's actually relatively small. The narrative, though, is that Elon Musk took the brakes off and hate speech is allowed to rise. Uh, but it is not even a percentage point increase. It's like a tenth of a percentage point increase. It's not that big a deal. There are 800 million new tweets posted every day. And hardly, I mean, not even a percentage increase in hate. That doesn't mean it's going to live up to, to um, or not live up to it. But it's just, the whole idea here is absurd. This goes to uh, picking fights with people who buy ink by the barrel. It's an old saying. You don't go to war against the press because the press buys bar ink by the barrel and can spend all of that ink attacking you back. Increasingly so, however, they can't. They clearly have tried. Twitter was the media's plaything. And the media is horrified that a billionaire bought their plaything and intends to open it up to the masses in ways they worked with Twitter to stop. And that's why I think the outrage about Twitter is going to come down to the new revelations, the new leaks. And I don't think that's going to work. Now, when we come back, I want to shake things up a little bit because I was going to talk about this later, but it's, it's deeply, deeply relevant since it's one of the precipitating events of all of this coverage of Twitter. What about the Hunter Biden laptop? The Republicans intend to hold investigations. I would submit to you there is a path forward to investigate Hunter Biden's laptop. But I would also submit to you it is not the path the GOP has chosen, and there is time for them to mount a course correction and salvage their investigation of Hunter Biden's laptop in a way that will not do untold damage to them. Bear with me here. I know some of you disagree with me on how they've pursued this, this investigation. 
Just let me make my case to you that there's a way to do it that's different from what they're doing in a way that will have more beneficial good for not just the GOP, but for you, me, and the country as a whole. We'll be right back. Americans for Prosperity plays to win. That matters a lot to me. I know a lot of D.C.-based organizations that just want to pass paper around to other Beltway insiders or claim they speak for everyday Americans without ever having to leave Washington, D.C. Americans for Prosperity is different. They're not a think tank. They're grassroots do tank. Americans for Prosperity is a -a one-of-a-kind, freedom-oriented, limited government advocacy and accountability organization that actually takes action to expand opportunity for all Americans and defend your freedom of speech. They're doing great work at all levels of government. What's their secret? Well, they don't really rely on Washington. They built a network of concerned citizens who are stepping up for freedom in communities all around the country. If you want to learn more, if you want to find out how to get involved with Americans for Prosperity with a chapter near you, and I assure you, they have a chapter near you, check them out at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. That's americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Reminder, reminder, please. I will be sending out my cinnamon roll recipe. Uh, just, I, I don't intend to spend a lot of time here, but let me just say, I, I, I keep getting this question from people. Why? It goes to something I talk about occasionally on this program that uh, not only do none of us cook anymore, we just get stuff to go. But we isolate ourselves from those around us so much more so these days that we really don't spend a lot of time breaking bread together. And if I can do one small thing, and that is send you an easy recipe that's delicious so that you make it for either yourself, your friends, your family, and you break bread with someone, it will be doing you and the whole world some small amount of good. The cinnamon roll recipe is takes a long time to make, but if you follow the directions, it's not hard. The results are so worth it. It is a real old-fashioned cinnamon roll. you got to start it the night before, let the dough rise in the, in the refrigerator, make it the next day. It's definitely a weekend thing, not a weekday thing. But if you text recipe, singular, not plural, singular, recipe, the word, R-E-C-I-P-E, text it to 33777, subscribe. You can subscribe absolutely for free. You will get that recipe to your inbox. Uh, there's a It's a sweet dough. And then how to convert that sweet dough into the cinnamon rolls. Okay. Now, I got to move on because I'm going to shake stuff up and and do what I was going to do second hour because it's relevant to the Twitter stuff. Uh, As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, Twitter released the internal deliberations on why it banned the New York Post account because of the Hunter Biden laptop. And it is exactly what we thought it was. The Biden campaign running, screaming, saying it was Russian disinformation, it wasn't true, turn it off. And Twitter, sympathetic to the Democrats, turned it off. Only later realizing it was a legitimate story. House Republicans intend to investigate the Hunter Biden laptop, and they have made clear this has a lot to do with with undermining Joe Biden himself. They want to delve deeply into the Biden family, the revelations from Hunter Biden's account and laptop that seemed to suggest Joe Biden was in on the take. 
Here is Congressman James Comer of Kentucky, who's going to preside over the investigation. What else is going to come from Elon Musk, do you think? Because I know what we focused on were a lot of these emails from 2020. Mm -hmm. What about 21 and 22? More to come there, Maria. Uh, We are pretty confident that this wasn't an isolated incident. Uh, What we've seen thus far are emails from the Biden campaign telling the Twitter that, you know, that wasn't a true story, which that was a lie. We know now it was a true story with what the contents of the laptop are. What we haven't gotten to yet is 21 and 22 during the Biden administration. We're pretty confident that uh, numerous officials within our federal government have been communicating on behalf of the Biden White House to Twitter as to what they can censor and not uh, as to who they can ban and who they cannot. So this raises a whole host of ethical issues. Uh, the 2020 stuff that he released with the Democrat National Committee on the, the laptop story, that raises campaign finance violations. There are a lot of problems for the Biden administration and the Biden campaign right now. Will you be able to subpoena government officials? We're going to do everything we can to get to the truth. Uh, we believe that uh, Elon Musk has a lot of evidence. You know, Part of what I've said when I took over the Oversight Committee is uh, we're going to base everything on evidence, unlike Adam Schiff. We're not just going to be on fishing expeditions. When we go down a, a certain path, it's because we have credible evidence. If he would take that tone with the Hunter Biden laptop investigation, which I would remind you all was the very first investigation House Republicans announced they would do. It would go a long way towards fixing things. Here, here's the problem with the way they want to handle the Biden laptop situation. They they announced out of the gate that they were going to investigate the Hunter Biden laptop because they intended to investigate Joe Biden and whether or not he had his hands in the cookie jar with Ukraine and China and the like based on claims made in the Hunter Biden laptop. There's, there's a problem here. Tens of millions of Americans right now, tens of millions of Americans are struggling with addiction problems, have children or parents or spouses or siblings who are struggling with addiction problems, or they know people who are. I know people battling drug addiction problems right now. And it was something they fell into unconsciously due to surgeries or pain or injuries. They became addicted. Then there are the, the, the people just on hard times. Someone offers them drugs as a way to get over their hard times. They become addicted. The fentanyl crisis, the opioid crisis, just about every one of you listening right now probably knows someone who's struggling with drug addiction right now. Or you know someone whose family is struggling. If you make this about the Biden family, it becomes about a father with a son who went through early childhood trauma when his mother and sibling burned to death in a car fire, who loses his older brother to brain cancer, whose father is a public servant, who is an absent father, 
And now the father returned to help the son does what any parent would to help the son. Now, if you're a cold-hearted SOB, you don't care about that. You just want to screw the Bidens, go after them, burn them. But you are not the problem here. It's all those many millions of Americans who decided they would rather the Democrats stay in power than the a-hole Republicans. That's the problem here. By pursuing this in the way you are pursuing this, Republicans, you risk making the Bidens look sympathetic. You risk helping Joe Biden by pursuing the Hunter Biden investigation and the laptop head on. All of you conservatives listening right now are like, just just get the SOB. I understand. But look at the broader map here. You're already going to vote for these people. You're already a Republican. You already agree. What about all the millions of Americans you need to get the majority? They're going to be turned off. They're going to feel sympathetic to Joe Biden. So there's a way the Republicans could proceed. There is a way the Republicans could work this. Don't make this about Joe Biden. Make it about the FBI and the Justice Department and the deep state. How was it so many people from the intelligence community were willing to sign a letter saying the Hunter Biden laptop looked like a disinformation campaign? How did that come about? Who in the government did Twitter reach out to to confirm the Hunter Biden laptop probably was disinformation? We've got implications for the Department of Justice and the politicization of the Department of Justice and of the FBI and of the CIA and of the NSA. Go in that direction. Use the Hunter Biden laptop story as an illustration of the partisanship of the intelligence community running amok. Use the Hunter Biden laptop as an illustration for why we need to fix our national security apparatus. Use the Hunter Biden laptop as proof we have a problem with the politicization of our FBI. That avoids making Joe Biden sympathetic. Because it's possible for the Republicans to say, the FBI does it to you too. Shall we probe the FBI file of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. to provide the evidence that the FBI politicizes itself? You see what I'm getting at here? There's a way to pursue the Hunter Biden laptop story. And if the extra revelations come out and they're legit along the way, well, then they're rabbit holes which the GOP can pursue. But the first and primary and primacy, the investigation, is to investigate how it was the national security apparatus of the United States could rush out and censor a major media outlet, the New York Post, by saying this is Russian disinformation, clearly, when it wasn't. It could be a central point in the need for reform 
It could be a central point in the need for fixing the deep state. It could be a signature call for like a church committee to clean up the FBI and the CIA and the Justice Department and the collusion that led to the impeachment of Donald Trump because Alexander Vindman got his feelings hurt. You could make this bigger than just about the Biden family and catch the Biden family in the process. But by talking about it as we're going to investigate the Biden family, and this is about Joe Biden, and what did Joe Biden know, and when did he know it about what Hunter Biden was doing, you make it a sympathetic father struggling with a son who has an addiction. Make it about the politicization of the deep state. Make it about the politicization of the FBI. Make it about the politicization of the Justice Department. you suddenly will have a harder time having Democrats challenge you because that politicization runs both ways. The Democrats will get a couple of scalps too along the way probably, but you'll get to fix the ultimate problem. You'll look like the leaders and you'll be long-term rooting out enemies of freedom inside the deep state. And you'll be able to expose many of the biases those people have towards the left without conjuring up a sympathetic portrait of a father helping his son who is battling trauma and addiction. There is a way to pursue the investigation of the Hunter Biden laptop without making it about the Hunter Biden laptop explicitly so that you don't generate a backlash from the American people against the Republicans. If the Republicans were smart, they would do that. But I don't know that they're smart enough to figure that out. And they need to. A friend of mine said, you know, what's so deeply ironic here is Kevin McCarthy would shut down the entire operation to get him booted as speaker if he would just announce a church-style commission to investigate the deep state and the FBI. He'd get all the conservatives on board immediately. That he hasn't done that is just another damning indictment on how he lacks the smarts to be speaker. And I think that assessment is absolutely right. You know, they should just fire up the Eden Pure clear the air up there, get some sound thinking, get rid of the noxious odors. I mean, Nancy Pelosi's leaving. Get rid of the smell of the sulfur her office will leave behind. You fire up the Eden Pure Thunderstorms, and it just wipes out those odors. It eliminates odors, and you can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com on the very front page of the website. You'll see a discount code box, and you put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200. You get free shipping, and you're wondering, why do I need three of them? Well, you need one for your travel bag if you travel a lot because it'll wipe out the bad odors in a rental car or hotel room. You might have an RV. You need to leave one in there in case you're, you're cooking in your RV, you're traveling. It gets foul odors. You need one for maybe your basement, one for your upstairs, your downstairs, one for your kitchen if you don't have an exhaust vent in your kitchen. Or you got a sunroom back porch that gets a little mildew smelling. You keep one back there. It wipes out those odors. You can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code you use is ERIC3, EdenPureDeals.com. Eric three. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, you can call in. I highly recommend you get all the show notes and you can do that. If you text data to 33777, you can subscribe and get a 15% discount.
15% off. Only you, members of radio, get that by texting DATA to 33777. You get my whole stack of stuff that I talk about during the show and a whole lot more, too. Fill a bad stuff in there. Um, I'm keeping up with the 303 Creative. The arguments have concluded. We will get to those here shortly. Uh, i got a lot of other stuff I wish to talk about. However, i got to say something on a personal note. I went to the SEC championship game on Saturday night. LSU versus Georgia. I am from Louisiana. Grew up an LSU fan. I've lived in Georgia for 20 years. I like the University of Georgia. I think I was the only agnostic person in that stadium on Saturday night. I won either way. I like both teams. The the Western champion, the Eastern champion, the SEC, I knew going in Georgia was going to win. Had I any doubts, that LSU-Texas A&M game made very clear Georgia's going to win, and they're probably going to be national champs again, and good for them. Be nice to root yet again for the SEC and for Georgia and watch the Alabama fans struggle over whether or not to root for another SEC team. What I found striking, though, is I went with one friend of mine who is a UGA fan and two who are decidedly not, and they were miserable. The Tennessee fan in particular was extremely miserable. The Tech fan knew it was coming. All I can say is we left at halftime and we were not alone. It was also dry. It was like we were in Qatar watching the other football. There was no alcohol in the stadium. I realize it's it's college football, but seriously, you're in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the SEC championship. This might have been the first time LSU and Georgia fans had ever seen football sober. I mean, there was tailgating outside, and you could go outside through security, and there were people selling alcohol. And then you cut. There were people selling things besides alcohol. I could smell, but nonetheless, then you had to come back into the stadium. I, I, I I'm like ninety nine percent sure most of the people in that stadium had never gone to a game sober. And what was so striking is that a lot of the people there just presumed they could buy alcohol till they got through the security. In fact, I was behind a couple, and it was it was a young college age couple, somebody called on the cell phone and said, there's no alcohol in here. They left the line to go get hammered before going back into the game. <laughs> it's like, wow, come on. You can't watch a game without a drink. We did until halftime. And then it was such a blowout by halftime. It was obvious uh, the curb stomping of LSU was going to commence. Uh, the bulldog would beat the tiger. Uh, when, when they grabbed that uh, kick, that punt, and and ran it back for a touchdown when the LSU players were still confused as to what the heck was happening. I was like, yep, we're done. We stayed a whole nother quarter and a half until halftime and decided it was bourbon and cigar time because ain't nothing happening at that game. We went and watched it, and it wound up being like a 50-30 to 30 some odd game. But so that is the third, it's the third football game I've ever seen in person. I've seen dozens and dozens of Braves games in person, but I'd only, this is the third time I've ever been to a football game in a stadium. I, I, it was actually, it was a fun experience. I've been to a, uh, UGA, uh, South Carolina game at South Carolina before I've been to a Falcons game, probably 20 years ago at the Georgia dome. And then this LSU versus Georgia. I got to go to more college football games in the future. It was a fun experience. Although, the Brave Stadium is just such a cool, the teepee layout and everything is so much better, it seems, 
the Mercedes Benz uh, here in Atlanta. It's just a, the battery and, and the TP are just such a cool venue to go to a, a baseball game. They did it right. The Braves team did. All right. When we come back, we must dive into the Georgia runoff. What actually is happening on the ground in Georgia, the final Senate seat to be determined.